0: Hello, hi, Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the Gospel of Luke. And today we are following up on the passage with John the Baptist, where God is speaking to one person. Jesus is speaking to one person who's in very discouraging circumstances. And we're going to see Jesus addressing uh, another person in discouraging circumstances. A uh, little bit more complicated in this passage. So we're in John's, uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, where we read this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust for my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.
0: You know, this was one of the most moving passages to me when I first became a believer, just for that one statement that he who is forgiven much loves much. This idea that gratitude is what motivates the life of faith. And that, of course, is appropriate. If, If grace is the core of our relationship with God, if a gift is the core of our relationship with God, then the fulfillment of that relationship would be gratitude for receiving the gift. And the Pharisee here is someone who Jesus implies pretty strongly, it's hard to miss, implies is someone who doesn't have that kind of heart. He hasn't offered even just the common hospitality uh, that a host should offer to their guests. He hasn't offered him uh, water to wash his feet, which was common courtesy. He uh, he hasn't he didn't greet him with a kiss, and and he didn't offer him olive oil to anoint his head. All these common courtesies. And this woman, on the other hand, this sinner has offered him an excess of all these things, just an extravagant level of all these what should be common courtesies of hospitality. And of course, the implication is that, or actually not even implication, directly stated, the reason she does this, the reason she's moved to such lavish love is because she has been forgiven so much. And of course, every one of us has so much to be forgiven, it's just harder for the Pharisee you know, to, to realize the depth of the, their need for forgiveness. Uh it's it's one of these things that this tremendous irony it's that our attempts to be good can often be one of the most significant barriers to real connection with God. This idea that we when we repent we have to repent of of everything that gets in the way of our relationship with God and one of them can be our even our attempts to be good, our attempts to earn what God intends to give us through grace, give us as a gift. And that's what the Pharisees have to deal with. And, and I think often why they are so opposed to him, it's kind of like the fallacy of sunk costs like they've invested so much into being good people that they can't, they have such a hard time accepting this idea that what God wants to give them can only be received as a gift. They cannot earn their place at the table. It reminds me too of Romans chapter one, where Paul goes into All the reasons why humanity fell into sin and and at the very beginning of that Romans chapter one, verse 21, it says that we um, neither glorified God as God nor gave thanks that we had pride and we had an ingratitude, but rather so the kind of the flip side is what invites us into a real relationship with God is humility and a heart of gratitude, which are both on uh, incredible display by this woman, who becomes this example for us. It's it's in, in the end, it's it's her who walks away justified by God, not this wealthy uh, uh, person of you know great reputation in the community, this this leader, this person who has you know done so many good things. Uh, in the end, he's not the one who goes home with a connection with God. It's rather this woman. Anyway, Dave, what do you see in today's passage?
1: You know, I, I think that the, this, um, that way of understanding this woman uh, from the Pharisee's perspective, right? He's looking down on her and saying, hey, she's a lot worse than I am, right? We are nothing alike. And in fact, she shouldn't even be here. Uh, but I, I think that in, in his um, parable, or his, you know, story, he in verse 41, he says, a man loaned two people, money to, to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. But here's the real key piece. But neither could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both. And I think there's this kind of thing where a lot of times we compare ourselves to others. And we try to decide, am I better or worse, better or worse, as if God grades on a curve. Uh, But here's what I would say. Okay, let's instead of 50 pieces of silver, let's imagine it's it's feet deep, right? So uh, she falls into the ocean. And she falls down to the bottom of the ocean 50 feet deep, or 500, I guess in this case, 500 feet deep and drowns. He, on the other hand, is only 50 feet deep and drowns. Well, if neither can get to the surface, who cares? Like whether you're 500 feet or 50 feet, it makes no difference. And in fact, if Jesus ends up rescuing both people, the, in one sense, who cares if one was at 500 feet in the beginning and one was at 50 feet in the beginning? If you got rescued, I, you should be thankful, not because well, yeah, but you only had to pull me 50 feet. That woman, she had to pull her 500. My gosh! And, and so that's where I, I think that there can be a reality. I, I think I think sometimes that we um, we just, it's just we we say something that kind of is often said in Christian circles, but we all know it's not true and. Oh, that all sin is equal before in God's eyes. No, that's silly. That's not true, right? There are things that are better or worse than other things, right? And there are people who are more inhabited by evil or less, right? That's that's real. And we we can't pretend that, that it's not. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you drown at 500 feet or 50. You drowned. You need to be rescued by God. is the only hope that you have. And I think that's the thing that actually, is all humans, we share in common, is all of us need to be rescued by God. And you may say, well, I'm better Pharisee. I'm only been five feet. You know what? You can drown in a bathtub, right? You can drown in a bathtub. It doesn't matter. And so it is possible to be able to say, hey, what that person is doing is worse than what I'm doing. And I need to be rescued just as much as they do. Equal amount of rescue needed. And the only reason any of us gets to be here, and surely the only reason any of us will get to be in eternity, is because Jesus chose to save us when we could not save ourselves. To me, that's the essence of the gospel. And and so that then I think there can be equal love. There ought to be equal love if we could start to see ourselves not in, in equal depth, but in, in but equal in our desperation, mm. right? Equal in, in our weakness. And that part I really do believe is true of all of us. And, and I think that's where then the gospel is good news for everyone. But as you say, unfortunately the Pharisee couldn't see it. And I think too many, too many Christians today just don't see it. Uh, I think the other thing that we see here is just the the effusiveness of her love, and that there's just something really um uh I think very beautiful and visceral, right? That that because she recognizes that she was saved in a way that the pharisee does not because she recognizes the grace that jesus has to have to to, the mercy in order to be with someone as sinful as she is but the pharisee doesn't recognize the grace and the mercy that god would have to have to be with someone as sinful as he is right because we're all compared to god right i mean we're all so so sinful because of that she has this incredible love And I I do think that there, there, you know, I think we can go too far in churches in trying to make people feel bad. Uh, I don't want to make anybody feel bad. I I want to help us speak realistically about how bad we are, how desperate we are, so that we can actually receive genuinely the gift that grace is. And I think that's really the the gift. But I think it's so easy for churches to go either the direction of trying to make you feel really, really bad and just tell you, oh, you don't deserve anything. You're awful. I've seen churches that do that. And I see churches that are afraid to say, oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. You're great. God loves you just as you are. And I go, both of those things are lies that are going to make us miss the grace of God that we need for salvation. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think in both of those cases— it, it, those become impediments to gratitude. Like if you're feeling overwhelmed with shame, you're not going to feel grateful. And if you feel like you have little, if anything to be forgiven of, you're also not going to feel grateful. Like to use your uh, drowning analogy, it, it might be really hard to call for rescue. If you feel like you're drowning in your bathtub, you're like, no, no, I got this. I'll be fine. Um, even though you can just as easily drown. Like it's the same water that's going to kill you in the bathtub as it is in the 50 feet of water. And and that and, and maybe even more so, it's cutting you off from the possibility of, of taking your situation seriously and, and experiencing that gratitude that really is the key to life. I, I mean, as a parent, the longer I've been an adult, all of these things, the more I've been convinced that gratitude is absolutely indispensable and foundational for any kind of good thing in life. Like literally, I don't think that I can feel any good thing without also feeling grateful. The degree to which I am not grateful for that moment is the degree to which I am cut off from joy. And even the best experiences can become become miserable. And so I, that's one of the most foundational things I try to even just teach my own kids. Like, I think the worst thing I could do as a parent would be to raise spoiled brats. The best thing I could do is help them to be grateful, to appreciate all the things that they have as gifts. And that's,
1: because I think even when I experience a Kind of an objectively really good thing that I like. If I think I'm entitled to it, it's it's hard to feel grateful, because yeah, I got what I deserve. And and then there's something that just makes that impossible to experience that fullness of joy, even if it's a good thing. And I think that's the kind of the crime of of you know the sadness. effect fact, Ecclesiastes talks about that. It distinguishes uh, to, to some God gives uh, great wealth and to some, the ability to enjoy it. And I think, you know, those two things are separate things. And so you can have great wealth and not have the ability to enjoy it. I know so many people like that. Or you can have only moderate wealth, but have this great ability to enjoy it because you receive it as a gift from God and and not as sort of, "I, I deserve it, and how come they got more, and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. that gets in the way of just our genuine gratitude that allows us to really, it's, experience the delight of, of the, the whatever it is that God has given us
0: well on, on that note let's uh, I hate to end on a note where we're saying you should be grateful it's the should of opportunity this is an incredible opportunity that you don't want to miss not not should like uh, shooting you into the uh, into obedience in any case let me uh, pray for us that uh, we would be uh, compelled by gratitude mm-hmm. Uh, Our good and gracious God, open our eyes to see what this woman saw. Help us to see Jesus the way that Jesus uh, truly is, and help us to see ourselves the way that Jesus saw her. Lord, in all of this, give us clarity of the incredible graciousness and gift that you give us, the way that you so deeply love us. Fill us with gratitude so that we might experience all the gifts that you give us with the joy that they were intended Uh, to develop in us in jesus name we pray amen
1: amen well friends as you go through your day look for those opportunities just to say thank you god for the simple things and see if your joy doesn't increase and and even when you have those memories of things you've done wrong regrets instead of beating yourself up say thank you god you saved me from that as well And I think it's just going to allow us to experience the joy that can be ours in Christ. So, friends, with that, have a great day. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow.